know, I'm the classic story, amateur wrestler turned fighter. You know, I started wrestling in 1998. That was the first year. Timing was good for me. I was a freshman in high school, and that was the first year that the UIL in Texas decided to, you know, include wrestling into the sports program. You know, te Texas is football country, so wrestling was a brand new sport to us. It was very foreign to all the, the football coaches, and that's, as you mentioned earlier, that's where I met you because we actually had to go against each other. You, you, you were the 160-pounder at Klein Oak. You were a senior. I was a freshman at Klein Forest, the 170-pounder, and we got matched up. And you were mentioning earlier, like, your recollection uh, of that match was. Yeah, I, I remember because I, I I pulled off the win on in the wrestling match, but you took my back, and at that point I had already done some jujitsu, so I had I remember feeling like you, even though I won the match, you it's like you beat me because I was sort of in a jujitsu mindset. You got the hooks in, you flat me out, which would be the worst position you can be in in a jujitsu match. And I remember just sitting there, I was like, I can't believe this fourteen year old kid is. Like dominating me in a jujitsu uh, match. Luckily, I had scored enough points before that, but that's that's what I remember from the match. You know, it's funny to get your recollection of the match because you know you're saying like, oh, I, you know, you're looking at it as like jujitsu points, but um, I, I always remember it, it was actually we were going back and forth. Like we were scoring, you would score, I would score. It was actually a double digit. Uh, points of a match and then in the third round I, I gassed out and, and you pinned me and that was the first time you wrestled the second time you wrestled is when you beat me on points and you were the 60 pounder I was the 70 pounder and they had me matched up like the guy I was willing to wrestle was the the South African national champion. That day. Yeah, his, yeah name was, his name was Cornell. And I remember thinking, like, oh, my God, this guy's a, a national champion in my weight class. And for whatever reason, the coach would not match me with him to start off with. You know, So he matched me with the 60-pounder. And the word that I got from, from them was like, well, this guy, he's actually, you know, you know, don't take him lightly. He's got some martial arts or some, you know, judo background or something like that. So <laughs> like, to me, you were like the... The, the judo guy or something like that and uh, and I always joke to say hey you know the, the only reason you beat me was because you know I was 14 you were 17 you were practically a grown man at that time right? <laughs> you, had, you had three years on me it's the only reason why you beat me but then my excuse for years later whenever we did go against each other as men you know I still use the excuse you're still three years ahead of me and even now when you take you know tap me on the mat to say hey, you still got three years on me so it's an unfair advantage well so. hopefully uh, we'll still be trained together in our 60s and uh, if I beat you when I'm 67 and you're 64 then we can still use the same uh, the same logic. Yeah, I still be leaning on that. Yeah, he's right. that three years. So well, I, I remember, um, and it wasn't long after our high school years that um, uh, that I saw. You know, we we met uh, again. You were I, I saw you in local jujitsu competitions, and then I'd heard that you were fighting. And it seemed like in a relatively short amount of time, you had amassed quite a few amateur uh, MMA matches, and then moved, you know, from that point into the professional leagues, and um, and from there you really, I mean, you really took off, you fought in some big organizations, you, you fought some very, um, you know, worthy opponents, beat some really tough guys. When you made that transition, was this something that you thought about during your wrestling years, like, I, I want to go in MMA, or was it just kind of, let me try this and see if I like it, and then you ended up... Really you know, I, I ran into that transition when I was a senior where it was like, well, you know, the choice from here is either is go to college and wrestle or there's like really nothing else and I still had that strong desire to compete but I was fed up with, with, with school I just was it just wasn't for me at that point I wasn't ready so the next best thing I was I thought was was 
mixed martial arts at the time it was you know they called it no holds barred you know no holds mm-hmm. barred fighting HB. yeah and um at the time tito ortiz was the man on top they were talking like the late 90s and yeah. he was just dominating guys with, with just like a double leg takedown and i was like man you know and, and his wrestling was just very you know it wasn't like anything special from 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 that perspective of, of just looking at from from uh from a fan standpoint i was like you know if he's able to dominate the sport with just the limited wrestling that he has you know i'm pretty confident i can have some good success in that and so I, it was no easy access to the internet just so you can just google something and then find the gems you know you could still search things but they weren't as you know sophisticated as it is now so there's only like very few gems the only reason i ran into a um be was able to train jujitsu was I found a local advertisement for a local jujitsu gym. It just happened to be just down the street, yeah. and there wasn't I, I, outside of that. I'm not even sure how many jujitsu gyms were were around back in the early 2000s. We're talking 2002 when I had graduated from high school, and so from that point, um, yeah, I just started training just in the grappling by itself, and from there, that's whenever I decided to. Um, I approached my career as far as mixed martial arts very much like how the boxers did back then where boxers amass like a huge amateur you know career you know several hundred fights under their belts then they try to go to the olympics and from the olympics they try to launch their professional career based off of that well at the time there was no amateur system when it comes to mixed martial arts fighting and i think at the time it was illegal for there to be for them to even have amateur fights and for a time that they it was all pro like as soon as you were fighting you were you were considered a pro and also at the time too they were it was illegal for for close fist fights anything that was less than eight ounce glove was considered illegal so we had to do pancreas style which like open hand so my first so finally when i did decide i was able to fight after a couple of years of uh submission grappling under my belt on top of the on top of the four years of wrestling and then i was, I was also striking for a couple of years and i decided to look into some of the uh Whatever I could find, as far as comp- you know, competition, it wasn't. It, it was. It was. You had to really, really like search to to get some competitions as far as a mixed style. Mm-hmm. And so the one of the first cage fights I had was a Pancrase fight, and it, that was in Salsalisa's Renegades Extreme Fighting, and that was back in 2004. I was 20 years old. I had a couple like several grappling matches under my belt. I had a lot of amateur wrestling matches, and um, they also had this other competition called the Dungle. To which it was yeah. it was mixed fighting, but you couldn't punch to the face. I want to say they still have they they had that up until a few years ago, but it's sort of underground. Like you know, you don't hear about it as much. But I remember that too. Yeah, and that was like an open mat. You know, it wasn't a cage. You just fight on like an open mat, and that was just you, you did whatever you could to get experience. But my actual first time stepping into a cage, you know, it wasn't in the the practice room. Now it's so easy for you to go to any gym. Any gym can have a, a cage right now. But at the time, like that was something that was very, you know, uh, very rare to see is, is a cage inside of a gym and so my first time actually stepping into a cage was it was in the competition itself for uh, Saul's Salisa's Renegades Extreme Fighting and that was back in 04 at 20 years old yeah. and um, you know from there had five or six amateur fights won all of them and decided to turn pro and whenever I turned pro got uh, one ten straight and got a contract with uh, the WEC and so that was and then that's for, from that at that point that's whenever things started I get a little bit more rough for me and then I had been in it for a couple of years and, and I kind of started to veer more into the coaching side than the competitor side right so I remember those days very well because I try to uh, relate this story to the students is that when we started the landscape of the grappling and the MMA arts was 
very sparse. You had to, like you said, you couldn't just go online and have your pick of schools and black belts to choose from to go train. I remember driving almost an hour one way to get my training in. There were a few schools in the entire area where we could get it. And it was just kind of like a handful of us that found something that we liked. And from you, it started with wrestling and then you adapted that, you know, for MMA. And, um, and over the years, I mean, we've seen how much it's grown, actually grown to the opportunity where there's there's a demand for it. You know, there's there's a lot of students that want to learn it. And um, like you were just touching on a moment ago, it's kind of how you, you started getting the teaching. What has the transition been like from uh training and competing to teaching because they're two different worlds and they don't always they don't always translate one to the other you know somebody can be a phenomenal athlete but they're not able to give that passion energy and technical skill you know pass it on to another student and you've been teaching for several years you run you know you've taught kids adults multiple styles what was that like in the beginning and what have you kind of learned from that experience i think that we all have a misconception that if you're a a very good competitor, then that's going to translate to where you're a good coach or a good teacher. And I think, like you and I can say from firsthand experience, that that's not the case. That you know, teaching is a, is a craft all on its own. Just because you're really good at jujitsu doesn't necessarily mean that you can translate it well to to teach somebody. And so it does take time to actually learn how to communicate, learn how to teach, learn how to put the lesson together. And the transition for me was, was, was pretty rough at first. You know, I was a, a work in progress. Um, I think like the average they say for, for a teacher to kind of come into their own is, is on, I was on an average of four years. And you can talk to any teacher and they'll tell you about like their first year or two of, uh, of teaching, no matter what, what it is, whether it's a martial arts coach and teacher or just a regular teacher at school they'll tell you like oh my god i wish i can go back and talk to those first year students that i had and just apologize to them for just like how horrible <laughs> i was but yeah i was um i always um made myself uh, as far as like my teaching style i started off very disciplinarian as far as the way i'd like to teach and made a lot of mistakes and, and took a lot of trial and error basically to to finally come into my own and that was back in my first time actually coaching and actually teaching people it was was at your school was for for kickboxing and that's when i first ran into that you know that finding those differences that hey just because i can do this pretty well you know how am i going to communicate that how am i going to harness this harness this into a lesson to teach people and not only that but balance it out to where you have like different levels of people and so that was that was a rough transition at at, at at the start and then i think it took me to about five or six years to really feel comfortable to come into my own to where i feel comfortable to where you can throw me some curveballs you can throw me all sorts of diverse people and i'll be able to to find a way to communicate with them to find a way to teach them yeah and, and i remember um i went through something similar and i remember when you started um uh, teaching and I've been teaching a little bit, but even back then I was, uh, you know, much rustier uh, than I am now because there's there's a tendency to want your students to have the same excitement and passion and you know that that you have and the same work ethic and you know i think as teachers we have to realize that some not everybody's trying to compete or not everybody's trying to you know um be the best in the world some people initially are just trying to learn basic self-defense and get in shape and now that can that can turn into something much much bigger later on mm -hmm. but um kind of 
recognizing the students' needs and, and being able to, you know, mold the, the training around yeah, that. That's where it does become a little bit difficult is to, to, to check your own bias. And that's the hard part is trying to balance that and check yourself when it comes to your own personal biases. And I know, like, you can speak as far as, and I, I can speak from, as a former competitor turned teacher, you know, it, it's difficult when you first start to teach to to recognize that and, and be sure and ensure that you're not just focusing on just the competitors or just the athletic people. And you know, you, I'm sure we've made mistakes along you know throughout the years where you look back, you're like, oh man, you know, some people that I just you know maybe left behind you know along the way. But uh, it's just a it's an ongoing process. You're always always trying to just trying to. There's never like a a pinnacle of okay, well I've I'm at a spot where I'll never make a mistake again. Like there's always that transition. There's always that. Ev- evolution of a teacher and so it's an interesting process and that we all go through and I'm, I'm comfortable with the, the spot that I'm in now I've been teaching now since 2008 and you know those first couple of years were, were some rough years but I really feel the last five I've came into my own as far as as, as my teaching style well I agree and, and it's um it's the same with martial arts there's no such thing as perfection there's only continuous improvement and um you talked a little bit about um uh, you know, going through that early on, and I, I went through the same thing. For me, it was all about trying to teach really awesome techniques, and, and I had less of a connection with the, the students' emotional needs or paying attention to why they were there in the beginning. And over time, I've learned to, you know, to improve on, on those shortcomings. Um, but I would say for you, I mean, you've, you've really come full circle because, you know, from somebody who I would consider one of the toughest athletes I've ever had the opportunity to work with. I mean, not just your training regimen and your history and what you've gone through in the MMA world, but now growing into what you become as a martial arts teacher where you, you're not just teaching classes, you're teaching brand new students and you've taught brand new kids and, and they've all you know excelled here at the school. And now teaching in the public school system. So it's kind of like you've not just embrace that but you've made that your career is mm-hmm. teaching so what kind of led you to that choice of career in addition you know to your career as a martial arts teacher but teaching in the public school system you know i went through my 20s where i, I dedicated that just to focusing on my dream to, to to make it as far as i could in mixed martial arts and you know after i started getting to a certain point and then i tried to, to dabble into a little bit of managing you know the the thought of possibly opening up my own school, so I, I managed a, another location, another martial arts location for a while, and then came back to Team Took, which was part of my story. But so, and then I came to find from managing that place that the business side is not something that I didn't have. I just didn't have any desire to do, but I still love to to teach. I love to coach. So I, I came back to you with with that approach of like, hey, look, I, I primarily just want to be on the teaching side and be, be out of the managing part of it. And so I was able to stay into that. And so I'd been in the, as a professional fighter at that point for about nine years. And I was getting in my early 30s and I, I put myself on a cutoff where I was like, look, you know, how far can I go into this? And, you know, some windows were starting to close. You know, I didn't have my education. And I, I didn't want to be 45 and sitting here thinking, being in the same spot where it's like, you know, being paid as an instructor, you know, can can help you make some ends meet, but it's not something you can really retire on. I mean, you could try, but you'll be working for the rest of your life, and that's not where I want to be. Whenever I'm in my sixties, is just like not having any savings or, or anything else. So I'm challenging Ken Shamrock to a super fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no. uh, and um, so with that said, I started thinking of my future and just wanted to be. You know, that's the thing that always uh, kept me up at night. I was just thinking of tomorrow, and I always prided my prided myself as a fighter that I wasn't one of these 
bums that just like fight just because it's the cool thing to do. I always maintained a job or a part-time job while I was fighting. I was always able to hit my mark when it came to whatever I had to make to, to pay my bills for that month. And I say that because there's like a running joke. It, it's, it says, uh, you know, what do you call a fighter without a girlfriend? What? Homeless. <laughs> and so the reason, it, well, actually, it's, it's actually based off of, like, what do you call a musician without a girlfriend? Right, right. Homeless. But the, the theory is the same thing. It, it's a starving artist, you know, yeah. someone that's, that's, that's making their way up. And we run into a lot of ego in the sport of, uh, of fighting. you got, guys, a lot of entitled people when it comes to the sport of, of fighting and, and fighting in general, you know, yeah. boxing and mixed martial arts. And so there's a lot of guys that, they're just they're just, they're always looking for that handout. They're always looking for that free sponsorship. They're always looking for that free, or, or the sponsors to, to to just to give them kick money their way. And in return, like there's really nothing that they can give in return other than just like, well, hey, I, I can offer you exposure, you know, just by me being a, you know me being a fighter. I'll just throw you a couple of shout outs on social media. And I always. I've never liked that. I always prided myself into being able to like give something back, or even just be able to take care of myself. But I couldn't maintain that lifestyle, you know, for for the next twenty years. Or I didn't want to. You could, you could try, but it's not going to be a very fun life. Right. And um, so I, I decided. I was like, all right, you know, make my next couple of runs, and we'll see how it goes. But if I don't get where I want to get by thirty-one, then I'm going to go back to school. And uh, well, actually, I was already in school at that point. But at that point, I went full time into school. I was going like a couple of classes. Uh, a semester by that point I, I made the decision that I wanted to go back to school full-time and secure my future and I kind of was looking at some of the majors to look in and then teaching just kind of stumbled upon to that where um, you know I was talking to my counselor and she said if you get a, a special education um, certification you can teach all the way to the high school level and with that came I was like oh you know if I teach in the high school level I can become a, a high school wrestling coach and that's that's always been a far off dream too and I thought that would never ever happen because there was some point in my 20s where I thought I would never ever go back to school and to ever be a wrestling coach you have to have a, a degree and I thought I'm never ever going to go back to get my degree it's just, just too much time too much effort and um, but that all changed you know once I was you know in my early 30s I said you know I sacrifice these next couple of years get your degree set a, a future so I chose to become a teacher, got certified in general education and you know special education. Then finally settled in on, on to physical education. That seems to be more suitable to what uh, what we do. And it's been it's been a really smooth transition. I'm never gonna say it's gonna it's your, as a first year public school teacher is is never an easy process. But as far as you know what I been teaching in you know martial arts for the last ten years, it definitely helped with my. PE classes and so that's basically where my transition came as far as like going from a martial arts coach to an actual public school coach was I just wanted to secure something for my future well I think you touch on a lot of really great points especially you know you're kind of speaking to the that younger crowd that has aspirations of being a fighter and I think it's a great uh, a great dream to have and you do have the GSPs and the Anderson Silvas and John Jones that that make it and they become rich but the reality is that it's a smaller percentage and while there's more opportunity now than ever you know one thing you, that you were saying that stuck out the most I think is you you seem to be very disciplined throughout this process even when you were chasing the martial arts dream you were still you still had the the foresight for what you're going to do you had a game plan uh, an exit plan and and when you went back to school you were still I mean you, you didn't miss any classes here you were still here teaching you were still making ends meet and I think that's what a lot of people miss along the ride when they have a, a dream the that kind of aura, the feeling of like, oh, I'm in this MMA world. Um, 
or, or, or it could be anything. It could be the musician world, like the joke you made, is they forget about the element of discipline, which is always required in anything that you do. And so going back to school required you managing you know, your time and, and your commitments here and everything else. And, um, and so I, I think that's the element. If you're going to be a, if you want to go after the fight, um, the fight path, you still have to be disciplined in your diet and, and your your uh, your training regimen. And you know, you talk, talk about sponsors like the you know, we see that like, hey, who wants to sponsor me? I'll I'll be a good fighter and I'll, I'll wear your T-shirt. It's like, well, what are you giving the sponsor? Like, what kind of relationship are you you know offering them? What kind of um, mutual reciprocation are you offering them? And that that requires more than just you know um, saying. I'm gonna go fight on this given day. And if I could like add to that, as far as like if I could, it, whenever we have somebody that comes in and they say like, "Hey, I'm gonna be a fighter," and like there's that's always like a red flag to myself. I know for sure, and I go out and let them speak for you too. Like whenever somebody's like says like, "Well, I want to be a fighter," you know, like like I said, there there comes with that a lot of baggage with with our history of working with fighters, and so you can always tell the ones that are serious, the ones that are like genuinely good people that like, look, man, I want to be a fighter. I want to do this seriously. And then you got the the jokers that come around. You're just like, all right, you, you know, you're just kind of catching on to just the, the hot trend that's going on. I'm just, yeah. I'm just want to be a fighter. And then sometimes you got to look through that where people are saying, hey, I just want to train like a fighter. Sure. You know, so you got to read through the lines quite often. But I do tell the people that are serious. I was like, well, look, you know, first and foremost, always be able to, to pay your way, to, to take care of your people. You know, and you can only do that, well, I'll just give you a lot of exposure and shout outs through, you know, social media. You can only do that so much. So I always try to tell, you know, the fighters like, hey, take care of your your, your people because you understand like they're missing time with their family. They're sacrificing time, you know, from their classes when they're focused like solely on you. You know, like those fight events, they're pretty fun. Like your first couple of years of, of being involved in this business, like you went through it. I've been through it as far as like, man, this is like great. Like I can do this like every week and go like go to a fight event. It just makes yeah. you feel like gives you like some purpose. And you feel like you were part of something special. But then after about, you know, five years straight of just like going to event after event after event. And then you're like, well, I've been to all these events. But like, hey, look at my bank account. You know, <laughs> how much have I gained from that bank account? I'm not saying like everything should be solely on money. But at the very least, as a fighter, you could offer, you know, your your coaches like, hey, man, you know, I have a fight coming up. And, you know, here's here's what I can offer you. Because like, we know you're broke. And we're not there for the money. We're there because we want to see you do well. But at least like show some effort that like, well, here, like I can cover you in a class or something. Like something that shows that like, look, I'm willing to give back to you. You know, so I tell fighters, you know, to, to be able to take care of yourselves, be able to give back to your coaches, and then um, and just always you know stay grounded when it comes into uh, into the into this game. Like you're never no one. There's no like single person that's bigger than this sport. Like you're just you know even if you're very successful, you're just the flavor of the uh, flavor of the moment. You know, right. like they'll easily forget you. So like you know your wins don't mean as much to everybody else as you think they do. Like you, when you're in that moment and you're winning, it's like man, like how can how can everybody not know about like how good I am right now? Well, we tend to see the world through our own lens, so we forget that you know people have their own lives and they're doing their own thing. And sometimes when we're successful or we win, the ego overrides the gratitude that we ought to have with the people that are helping us. And I know you know me coming up both um, you know in jujitsu and in in the business, I've had a lot of mentors and a lot of help, and I wouldn't be where I am today without that. And I think that you bring a you know, you make a good point. Um, you know, the the people that are there with you, they want to feel that they're appreciated, and that you know, you're not just doing it because 
they're awesome, but you know, you're there to to really help them. And that's um, yeah, that, I, I think that's um, that's a very powerful point for up and coming fighters, especially when they're young and they go out and they get their first win. And they they feel like the UFC champ, even though they just won a local amateur mm-hmm. fight. You know. Yeah. And, like, on top of that, because I was just saying about first take care of your people, but also, like, don't quit your day job either, you know, like, don't, I think, like, what, 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 um, what really is attractive to, to younger guys as far as fighting is they think, like, oh, man, that'd be just so awesome, all I could do is just train all day, and I could get paid every month to go fight, and, and it's, it's not that simple, it's not, it's, and, um, they end up, but like that's the lifestyle they want. They think they can just live off of the their fight purses. But you're not going to make that much money off of fight purses. You know, you'd be lucky in your professional debut to make you know 500 bucks. I don't think I know anybody that made like a thousand bucks unless they came from like another sport, like was a former Olympic champion. They transitioned to like a bigger show. But don't quit your day job. Be able to take care of yourself. You know, be you know, be a respectable man that can take care of like their their bills and take care of themselves. Uh, don't be a freeloafer at your gym. Always try to like give back until you can network. You know, I was fortunate to be able to network with a lot of different styles of. You know, I had my guys that were really good at striking. I was able to network and and you, you end up kind of exchanging you know favors. You know, you like you help them out. You're helping them train for a fight, but the same token, you're getting that training in too. But you gotta establish those relationships first. But you know, we've seen guys just come right right off the bat. Well, well hey, I'm a fighter, so where's my special treatment? Right. You know, and it just doesn't work that way. So just, just like anything else, you know, just be, be, uh, be grounded, and you know, just you know, first things first. You know, take care, you know, take care of yourself first. You know, and then don't always be looking for that handout. So well, on this kind of MMA world route, you've um, recently gotten into MMA judging, which is, um, which is a very interesting subject to me because it seems like there's so often there is controversy among. Uh, among matches, you know, you hear people talking. Oh, that guy got robbed. Did you see that fight? That was nonsense. And and I think people, you know, that's just from the spectator's point of view. And to be behind the scenes, like you've gone through and become a certified MMA judge. So I'd I'd love to hear your take on maybe some of the uh, the ignorance that the audience doesn't see. Like, what is it? What's it like to to score an MMA match? Well, where I started with, uh, as far as like your question, like was like to score an MMA match, just like. You know, you've probably heard it before. It's not as easy as it looks. But the reason why I decided to start into MMA judging was, you know, I still wanted to stay involved in mixed martial arts in some capacity. So I'm not a competitor at the moment. And I still want to, you know, I love what's going on in the local area. We got, you know, Eric Garcia, who's one of our students, who's a, probably like the top promoter in this region of, of the southern United States as far as like, you know, big MMA shows are concerned with the Fury Fighting Championship. And so I was doing commentating for his show and I was sitting next to one of the judges and after one of the amateur fights you know the guy had won the match with like a rear naked choke and the judge leaned over to me and because and, it was during intermission there and they were like well what do you call that move that that person just won with <laughs> and they had kind of like a disclaimer because they could kind of feel like well what am I asking here am I kind of giving myself up that I don't know that much and they're like sure. well I'm, I'm familiar with like the grappling moves you know but I just didn't know, I just don't know the name sometimes sure and I was like well that's the rear naked choke, which, you know, even just as a casual fan, like, you know, that, that's a pretty common move, yeah. you know, especially if you're in the position of to be judging people's, you know, fights and careers, right. you should know at least that name of that. So that got me interested. So I started, you know, talking to, to some guys in the business and I was just like, well, what does it take to be an MMA judge? And at first I thought 
as far as Texas was concerned, was just you just fill out an application to the TDLR and just pay your fee, and then like you're a judge. You might as well be. You might as well be with it, especially with that. With that, you know, with that person, like what yeah. they said to me. And so I was asking, was well, how, and uh, I was trying not to be too obvious. So I eventually led the conversation. Said, so, well, so how did you get involved into to judging? And they told me, well, you know, a long time ago, I used to be married to uh, somebody involved in boxing, and then they just kind of, you know, brought me along, and I just kind of, kind of fell into it from there. So they now I'm here. Yeah. And so I was like, oh man, that's that is that is rough. So I was like, you know what? Like, let me at least. You know, see if I can get into that because for one, I was interested, and then two, like, what better you know person to have involved judging fights than somebody that has actually been in it for like their life, not just you know was just married to a fighter or something like that. So I came to find you have to get you have to get certified through an actual. Um, you know, recognized uh, judging organization, ABC recognized, don't ask me what ABC stands for, but uh, ABC recognized organization for judging, and they gave me the list, I talked to some of the guys, and uh, the one that is pretty renowned is the John McCarthy School of Judging and Refereeing, and so those of you that don't know, you know, John McCarthy, he's been, he was like one of the very first, uh, he's a very pioneer of mixed martial arts in America, I think his first, uh, referee event was UFC 2, yeah. 2 or 3, and then he is he's just a very uh, prominent figure in mixed martial arts, and so I was like, you know, that, that's pretty attractive, of uh, the, the schools I want to go to, I want to go to like one of the most well-known guys, and uh, the person I was telling me about it said that, you know, that he has a high failure rate, and uh, he said, just be careful, but he said, you should be alright, because, you know, you, you're involved in this business, so you, you know it's... Uh, some of the, the things that they'll be talking about. And I didn't know what he meant by that, but whenever I did go to the actual school, I was surprised to see, it was about 30 or, or so people, but there's a lot of fans that, you know, just decided that they just wanted to try to be judges. And I'm glad they had to go through that process because it was a real big reality check for a lot of them. You know, many of them had never even been on the mats, but when we're going through that process of the, the John McCarthy you know, school for judging and, and refereeing, they, they they filter out and they, they try to like weed out real quick. They they like who who's familiar with the sport, who's been involved in the sport, and those are the guys that have like the highest chance uh, of passing because he does have a high failure rate. Not everybody is, is a very low percentage, and they take pride in that. As far as like you know, like if if we're only going to graduate just like the top people, and so it, it was a pretty cool process. They have uh, it's a three part test. We like one test where they have. They show you videos like a, it's like a list of a hundred moves. You know, it's just like a blank sheet of paper, like a hundred blanks, and like they just show you like a hundred different moves on the screen. You got to be able to name each and every one of them. And then the second part's like a written exam, as far as just like a multiple choice, asking you questions about like you know if if fighter A does this is in the mount for like four minutes, you know, and then the time you know, and then fighter B does this, you know, who 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 would you score wins the fight? And then the third part, which is. Um, you can kind of BS your way through like the first and second one if you if you had never really been part of the business. But the third one was like you had to judge an actual fight and you had to get exactly you had to score the exact same way that John McCarthy did. And if you did like any discrepancies, like you automatic failed, no matter if you were doing like great in the exam. That was the most um, pressuring part. But it was a cool process. Uh, you just it was like two days. You're you're going through, you know, judging fights, and then they would uh, actually. Put you to test, you know. Put you to test and be like, all right, like you know, if you scored it for this person, don't you stand on this side of the room? Or if you scored it for this person, don't you stand on this side of the room? And they make you explain and say, hey, you know, Todd, how'd you score that fight? You know, and you say, well, I think you know, fighter A won. It's like, well, why? And they would just hammer you with questions and put you under that hot seat. And so it was, it was a high pressure, you know, 
atmosphere as far as like they just wanted to like make sure like that they graduate just the best guys but it was, it was a good process that i think that not only should like potential judges um do but i think like fighters it'd be very beneficial for fighters to actually take the course especially if you fight in nevada a lot to just to be familiar be a little bit more on the same page of know uh of what you do, like what they're looking for, exactly to 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 win a round. Well, I think it's important as, as a sport evolves, the professionalism and the expectations increase as they should. You know, like we we're talking about when we first started off, the jujitsu tournaments were like in they were in other martial arts schools or they were like in back rooms. I mean, there was no there were like no um, organized facilities and there were there was very little in terms of how to score that. But now it's evolved and you have like the IBJJF and a, and a proper judging and scoring scoring system and you even have to to move up in the belt, you even have to go through that organization, I mean, through the process of learning the rules, and I think you make a very good point, you know, where does the sport, you know, if you're an MMA, if you're a promoter, do you want to just have a sport that's just left to random judges that have their opinions who got into it because they had a girlfriend who was into boxing, or do you yeah. want, like, somebody who's a professional who's been there, mm -hmm. and I think that that says a lot about the, kind of the evolution of the sport, and you know how it's going to stand apart the people that take the route of professionalism versus those that just kind of you know want to do it an old school way mm -hmm. you know so and then uh, I kind of took like the long route to answer your question but you're saying like well what is it like to, to actually score and um they, an MMA match. Yeah, and then it's a score. <laughs> yeah, no way. Maybe you can give me some tips on that. So. But uh, anywho, but. You're not gonna. Then you fucked up like the train of thought. Here. Yeah, yeah. I did that on purpose. I'm leaving that in too. Okay. Oh, okay. So, like, well, of the two girls that I know, no. <laughs> this works, you know. Uh, anywho, but um, with uh, whatever you do, finally score the three criteria. What they look for is is duration, domination, and damage. You know, the three Ds. And of those three Ds, the, the biggest D, the most important D of them is damage. And so, and, um, so it was cool to see that they, they, they had to score a couple of fights that I scored differently before I went to the, to the, to the training, um, as just like a, as a competitor, as a fan that I did afterwards to where I actually had some criteria to, to run by. And one of the fights was Robbie Lawler versus, um, Oh my goodness! The, the, the kid that's in um, PFL now—he he went. He went for—he was welterweight. Um, Robbie McDonald. McDonald. Roy McDonald. Yeah, Roy McDonald. Yeah. So Robbie Lawler McDonald too was the one that I scored for McDonald prior to um, taking the course, and then afterwards I got to see like okay, you know, like I see what the, the damage, you know, like what's the definition of damage? So one of the fights that I scored differently, other than. Um, for that I scored differently from before I took the, the, the John McCarthy training to afterwards was Rory McDonald versus uh, Robbie Lawler 2. And that particular fight, if you haven't seen that fight, you know, Rory McDonald had landed more volume of punches and he landed more shots, but Lawler had landed like the more damaging shots. And so it wasn't until after the training where I saw that like the difference in the scoring and that like just looking at it from a different perspective and toward the training where it's important to you know, that's why I say it was important to be, like, as a competitor, it's important to know what the judges are looking for. And if you understand that, like, you know, that they're looking for that damage, you know, you can be 
you know, thinking that you're ahead if you're, you know, Rory McDonald, you know, landing like all the shots, but then you get rocked by one big shot. You know, you landed like, you know, peppering 20, like peppering shots, and then all of a sudden you get rocked by one big shot. You know, like how do you score that? You know, you have to be aware of what they're looking for. So that damage and then duration and then, um, you know, the, the amount of uh, control that you have. What was the three things I said? Damage, duration, and domination. Yeah, it's like how long you dominate. So you right. can you can be in that mount position for thirty seconds. Compare that to a guy like Khabib, who who just like his duration of domination is like just so great. It's almost the most of the rounds sometimes. Yeah, where he, he scores a lot of ten eight rounds. Yeah, and so it's important to have like all the judges on that same page. The thing that's kind of rough here is that Texas doesn't follow. They're still going by like the old set of rules, mm -hmm. and so the training that I had gotten was from Nevada, which is going by now like the unified mixed martial arts rules. Right. But Texas is still going by the old set of rules, sure. which is not too much. You know, it's still somewhat on the same page. But I think we're, you know, judging is exactly what it's called. It's it's somebody's opinion, yeah. and. So, of course, you're going to have, like, different, you know, everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's got, like, a different perspective of it. And I think it would just be helpful as far as another thing that, that makes the, the, the judging difficult uh, for, for the accuracy uh, as far as judges are concerned is that just like martial arts, the judging is, is a labor of love. It doesn't pay too great to where, like, the, the motivation to, like, always stay sharp with your level of expertise you know like they're not gonna pay you to go to a uh, to a school to keep you fresh on your on your judging right so like the only training I had was from that uh, course from a year and a half ago and yeah. even I get rusty at times I'm even even though I'm still involved in the sport so you imagine a guy that just got his certification you know several years ago that just doesn't really be involved in the sport very much other than the times he's judging yeah. and you get his opinion so you got just Three different people judging a fight that from from three different points of view who may have gotten their certifications from a different place and they were proud their requirements to, to pass the, the course was probably different and then along with uh, in Texas you still have some old heads that were just grandfathered in from from boxing that are still judging and uh, you know they're they're doing the best that they can so there's a lot of discrepancies and as far as like the solution to that you know I don't have one off the top of my head other than just you know if there was uh, some motivation to just have like a a core of judges that would uh, get together to try to make sure that they're still staying sharp like still continuing their education when it comes to to scoring and to, to judging because that's going to evolve too right so. well and it seems that you have to have the right minded person somebody who wants to do it for the right reasons because they they're passionate about the sport and they want to give the most fair assessment of the outcome of the fight whereas um, you know, if like, like you said, if you just um, if, if it's not something, it's not it's not a job that people are going to come up to you afterward and say like, oh, you judged that perfectly, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. But if you get it wrong in their opinion, they're really going to be like kind of crapping all over you. And you hear that all the time. You hear like, oh, what were those judges thinking? But you never hear, oh man, I'm so pleased with the judges and their professionalism. Yeah. So you've really got to be doing it for the right reasons, I think. And so, um, well, I think the battery's about to die, and I think we've covered a lot of topics. But um, man, it's been really great talking with you. I know we we see each other every day, we talk all the time, but it's it's been great sitting down and sharing with sharing all this with you and. Hopefully, um, everyone watching, you guys got a lot of value from, you know, one of the uh, one of the OGs of Texas MMA. He's been around a long time, got a lot of wisdom, a lot to offer, and uh, really appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me, man. All right, see you next time. <laughs>